Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul in a slightly different camera angle today, but he's still in Connecticut. Tell us what's going on, Rahul. Uh, I've had a, a slight accident here with my laptop, so I'm using a different device to record and the camera isn't centrally located. <laughs> Look, I still appreciate and admire dedication to this podcast that you make it work with whatever technology you've got for that. I really, really appreciate it. And I think we're going to have a fun time on this new segment with your new camera. Hey, to our, our viewers on YouTube, I apologize for <laughs> the weird angle, but uh, it's all about the content. So let's get into it. Yeah, and to our podcast listeners, they're not going to notice the difference. But yep, let's jump go. right into it. Uh, we'll start with the women, Rahul. We're getting a lot of traction there, and they have been on fire recently. But some of the negativity around the Chelsea draws have you know, shrugged off onto them. Uh, it was UCL week. Chelsea women were playing Juventus. Uh, we were at home in the Kings Meadow. And I think the easiest way to describe this, it was not our day at the office at all. It wasn't. Maybe a little bit of a hangover from the celebrations and the FA Cup win. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I think uh, we did everything we could to score. And it, like you said, it just wasn't our day and it ends nil-nil. But um, 25 shots, I believe, for, for, the, for the ladies, five on target. Uh, compared that to Juventus, just <laughs> two uh, shots and one on target. And then we had 72% of the ball. So... Uh, we dominated the game and and could have scored and would have scored in any other day, but it uh, wasn't to be. Yeah, very disappointing when you dominate in such display and there's really nothing to show for it. But look, sometimes things like this happen. I think even though you try to play it off, maybe hangover from the FA Cup celebrations might be the right thing. I mean, not saying they were drunk or anything, but you lose a little bit of energy, a little bit of focus given all to play that FA Cup final. And we're still proud of them no matter what. And I think they can go from here and, bounce back but one of the big topics that came off of this game was there was a silly fan that ran onto the pitch and started to try and get selfies with all the ladies and Sam Kerr didn't take that well did she she didn't and he may have been saying some stuff along the way while trying to get some selfies and um, as he's walking off Sam Kerr out of nowhere just drops drops a shoulder on him and (laughs) and completely knocks him out (laughs) It was a lovely body check. I mean, it was something where she was like, look, I'm tired of your idiocracy. Get off the pitch. Right. Uh, she didn't really succeed in getting off the pitch. In fact, she kept him on there for a little bit longer. She takes a yellow card for it. And that's the end of that situation. Fans, if you're watching live football, try and stay off the pitches there because they're trying to hurry it along. And maybe a few more seconds, we could have pinched a goal. But look, no, in all seriousness, uh, stay off the pitch. Let the women do their job and score a goal where we can celebrate from the sidelines. You know, and you say that in a few more seconds, the game's about to end and maybe then you make your run and right. players might oblige and be like, all right, here's a selfie like we've seen uh, in some of the other games. So maybe the timing from him was was completely off and, and he gets a, a <laughs> bit of a reality check from Sam Kerr uh, for it. And just coming back to the game that still leaves us top of the group uh, in the Champions League ahead of Juventus and Wolfsburg, uh, who we face Wolfsburg next week at home. Uh, So we sit on 11 points, uh, Juventus and Wolfsburg on eight each. So going into the next match day, uh, a point obviously would be enough for us, but uh, Wolfsburg would have to win, which means they would have to beat us. So it's going to be an interesting game and and the work's definitely not done, but 
uh, as we know with the women they they come up big when when it's uh high stakes and they usually get the job done so Moving on from the UCL, though, we're back to the WSL this weekend, and Reading is the destination. Uh, maybe we can get back to winning ways and back on schedule then. Absolutely. The game's Saturday morning uh, over here in the U.S., and uh, as always, it's going to be available on the NBC Sports website, so uh, definitely check it out, and it's an opportunity for us to open the weekend with the win and, and go top of the table for a little bit as until Arsenal uh, hopefully drop some points and we can stay there. Yep. So good luck to the women. Women, Hopefully they can do that and start off the weekend with some winning ways. Rahul, should we get into some depressing, well, not depressing news, but <laughs> the trend with the men's team here, that's Zenit versus Chelsea. It's, it's funny because if anybody has been listening and, and there have been people, but if anybody has been consistently, you know, listening to our mood and our tones, uh, they know just a couple of weeks ago, we were like, Let's talk about a dominant display here. And here we are talking about a disappointing display. So how quickly things change and a 3-3 draw is it is disappointing because you're minutes away from winning and you and you throw it away. We go from what two, three weeks ago where we're talking about a roaring engine that's dismantling <laughs> Juventus to we hit a little speed bump in the road and all our tires are falling off all of a sudden. But look, I don't think it's cause for alarm. It's part of the December woes, the December blues, as we called our last episode, in fact. But let me run through the starting lineup, and then we can kind of dissect the game a little bit. Uh, Kepa coming back into the team, I think you and I had discussed that in the last episode, that he would actually get an opportunity, not only because Mendy has been a little bit shaky, but maybe a little bit of an audition for Kepa to try and stake a claim for uh, African Cup of Nations when Mendy is gone. Back three of Aspilicueta, Christensen still looking at a contract, and then Malang Sar at the left centre-back position. As far as the midfield four go, Callum Hudson-Odoi seeing in right wing back. Uh, he played a little bit higher than that, but that's where the, the formation started. Reese James and Ross Barkley in that center two. What an interesting two we have there. Saul playing left wing back. Now, you had told us he could do this and it looks like Tuku was taking the experiment a little bit further. Uh, plays Mason Mount and then Timo Warner and Lukaku in the front. So... Little slight change in the formation, about the same shape, just maybe a V instead of a like an A shape. But a couple of interesting things we need to discuss. I'm going to start with uh, Callum and right wing back. Your thoughts on him? I mean, there wasn't many <laughs> options based on <laughs> Aspie playing in defense and uh, James in, in midfield. But look, we've seen Hudson Odoi play uh, that position and he's done it pretty well, at least in the first few games for Tuchel. Um, and wasn't too bad in this game, but obviously you, you have a more attacking wing back in, in Hudson Adoy there. Uh, and with the issues in midfield, we we saw what that ended up being. It wasn't as tight and as good as uh, we've seen in the last few games. And Saul at left wing back on the other side. Your thoughts on him? Uh, I mean, it's it's an it was an opportunity for him to do something different we've seen in midfield it hasn't worked out or hasn't worked out as well as he would have liked and and he has like we've spoken about in the past he has the uh, potential of playing at left wing back and honestly i don't want to don't want to be over critical of him uh but from what i watched and i didn't watch as much as you and and some of the the folks out there but from what i watched he seemed pretty good at least for the first half an hour 40 minutes 
Um, and obviously then we've conceded. So maybe that, that goes against <laughs> what I'm saying, but um, it's an opportunity for him to maybe take a claim and push Marcus Alonso, but we do need him for the midfield positions too. Yeah. It's one of those uh, in looking at this formation and dissecting it, at least in my opinion, you almost wonder because you know, the likes of Callum could play on the left. Maybe they took left wing back. Christian Pulisic has played there before. You slide Saul into the more natural central midfield position, slide Reese James out wide, and then maybe have a little more balance in the team. Obviously, Tuchel makes the choices finally, and he gets to decide how this goes. But yeah, good call on Saul. I think if he can continue to try to push himself, get settled in this team, I know it's difficult when you play every four games or so, something like that, and you're not playing a full 90 minutes. But you have to take your chances when they're given to you. And so hopefully he can do that. Uh, lastly, let's talk about uh, the front two, Timo Warner and Lukaku. Uh, together, they pretty much rescued Chelsea's night. We'll get that, into that in a few minutes. But what did you make of those two playing together? We haven't seen them in several weeks. Yeah, we haven't. And I was actually excited because not only did they play as the front two, but with Mason Mount in behind them, it almost seemed like it was something refreshing in attack. Again, it's three different players playing. Like we've been mm-hmm. saying, it's always three different or three different guys up top in that attacking trio. But uh, with these three, it almost seemed like there was a plan, which was Mason was able to drop deeper when we were defending and help out in midfield. And with his energy, he can always uh, help out with the attack too, when we get the ball back. So um, I think that was the thought process there. And Lukaku, sometimes I saw, again, I only watched about 15, 20 minutes of the game, but uh, sometimes I saw Lukaku dropping into midfield to help right. out. So that allowed us to always have one of those three dropping deeper and and, and helping out, which was, which was good. Uh, and at the same time, like you said, Timo Werner and Lukaku saved the night. I would go a step further and say Timo Werner really stepped yeah. up and saved the night. Yeah, so we'll get to that in just a second here. So, I mean, really, there was a fully changed 11, whichever way you look at it. Yes, there are a couple of repeat names uh, in the fact that Callum has been around, James, Mount, but the whole formation and where they were playing is completely changed. And so it's it's an interesting one because you expect, you know, it may cause a, a rift or a, a bump in the road, and it did. But Tuchel's come out and said, these are strong 11 players that need to perform no matter where they play, how often they play. And so... Uh, we'll see how this changes over the next few weeks. But let's jump into the game, Rahul. I mean, we started with very, very good success in the first two minutes, actually. I think it was minute and 45 seconds, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Timo Werner on the score sheet. And look, if you're a true Chelsea fan and you've watched Timo Werner and his struggles over this season and last part of this season, you're jumping for joy when he scores that early in the game. Yeah, I, I wasn't even watching and I saw the notification come on my phone and I was like, yeah, come on, Timo. Uh, because you know what that goal means for him. And and uh, you, you've said it, last season was tough. He ends the season on a high. He's come back this season. It's been tough. He's been in and out. He's been injured. Uh, but getting a goal that early obviously settles your nerves going into, into a game. Not that this was that massive of a game, but uh, does him a world of good and and adds to the headache for Tuchel, at least in the front three, where in the last few games we've Mount scored, we've seen ZX scored, now Timo Werner is scoring. So it's good to have these guys in that kind of form, but they've got to continue it. And and I think that's that's the criticism of Timo is he hasn't consistently done it. Yeah, fair enough on that criticism. I think it's one of those things where 
not just him, if any of those front players can really go on a run, similar to Christian Pulisic, lockdown Christian Pulisic, might I add, where he just had that form where he was undroppable. I think if we can get one or two of those guys to get into that form, we can really get out of these woes and these blues that we're running through right now. But, I mean, the first 15 minutes for Hull, we were typical Chelsea. We were all over them. We were strong. We were stable. Given the fact that we had so much, so many changes, I was pleased with that. But in typical Chelsea format of the last few games, we don't really do much with that possession and with that control of the game. We kind of just uh, wear one up. We'll just kind of play our football and nothing will happen. But then it kept getting chances. In fact, Kepa had an amazing save early on in that, I think it was 20 a minute or so. And you look at this and it's like, it's a wake up call. Guys start paying attention, but you start watching and you look, uh, Barkley and James don't really fit that middle pairing. Christensen's been out for a little bit and Malang Sar has been off the speed a little bit. And you keep seeing Zenit get in behind, get in behind with simple passes. And in the 38 minute, Claudinho slots one in. Yeah. And, and it was a header and yeah. I, not to like take it anything against him, but he was maybe one of the shortest guys on the pitch. So that in itself is questions for the defenses. How are you letting him, uh, you know, get into the box and then get his head onto a cross? Uh, but you said it, I think we, we scored the early goal. We obviously tried to make things happen and it wasn't happening. And then it grew into confidence with, uh, you know, the, the game that they were playing. They had a few chances. You were, you, you pointed that out. Um, and they smelt blood. They knew that positioning our line, defensive line was a little bit high and they always had the option of basically breezing through our midfield and finding a pass in behind a defense, uh, which wasn't scored in that first time around and it gets recycled and a cross comes in and they score. Um, and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, this was coming and now we've got to react. And even before we could react, there was a second one that comes from, like I said, a, a high defensive line and, and they get played in behind and it's one-on-one against Kepa. Yeah. And Zenit hits us with the one, two punch in the 41st minute, just a few minutes later, uh, put the sword to us two, one, we go down into halftime and, Honestly, at this point, I'm looking at it and going, I don't really see how Chelsea come back from this because we were pretty atrocious towards that uh, later part of that first half. It's kind of a tale of so many different segments of the game where we start well, fall asleep, and then Zenit just come all over us and decide what they want to do. And and you wonder what's going to happen. And the second half comes in and we start to perform well. I mean, it's like it's the typical, again, situation we've seen in the last few weeks where Tuchel range them in, rearranges them, maybe has some harsh words in the dressing room. Timo Werner works his socks off, 62 minutes, finds Lukaku. And look, it was a beautiful ball that was into Timo. It took a little bit of a heavy touch, and he does have the composure of mind to cross it to an empty net for Lukaku to score his goal. Yeah, it's just, we've seen Timo score, and now he turns into provider, which is great for him because uh, we've said it for a while that even though he's not scoring, he's impacting the game in other ways. And and this was one of those ways. And if it's not an assist or a goal, he's most likely one of the hardest workers on the pitch. So I think that's what's endearing to most fans is they know he's having a tough time with the goals, but they see him running his socks off every single time. And, and that's what you want from a player. Yeah, that's the best part about it. Is he never puts his head down and you can tell he's had some tough times, but it was a, it was a nice thing from Timo because I think any striker who sees that opportunity, can be a little bit selfish, can try to dink the goalkeeper, can try to go around the goalkeeper. But Timo has that awareness and says, 
I've got my goal. Let me get my mate a goal here and just square it across. And I'm, I'm sure Lukaku appreciated that one coming back from injury as well. But uh, we have a few changes that happen. Saul comes off. Uh, Alonso comes in. Barkley's off. Hudson-Odoi is off. And Lukaku comes off. I think Kai Havertz, uh, we had Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech all coming on to try and change the play of the game. Uh, it was going well. And then who else steps up in the 85th minute but Mr. Timo Werner? The man of the match for me, at least, Rahul. And he gets that goal for us to put a 3-2 up front. And it's like I was saying, you've done all the hard work. You've fallen behind 2-1. You've made it 2-2. Now you go 3-2 up. And credit to Timo Werner. Again, he's he's coming up big, at least in this game, when it was needed. Uh, and since he's joined us, in fact, he's our um, highest goal scorer in all competitions with 17 goals, which is not a lot. And that in itself is a whole different issue with, with the goals, but uh, credit to him that he is, he is getting the goals, like again, not consistently, but uh, he shows up when we need him in this game. And, and, and on another night, he could have been uh, the match winner. And look, before this goal goes again, I think I texted you, I don't know if it was like the 70 and odd minute. And I said, Chelsea's going to win this game because we were piling on the pressure, the typical stuff we do, controlling the game. And I said, it's only a matter of time before we score. A lot of intricate passes. Uh, Kai Havertz is doing well. Hakim Ziyech Pulisic doing well. All of them playing really, really well. Timo scores. And you said, game over, done, dusted. Chelsea know how to control a game, know how to defend. And boy, am I stupid for saying that out loud, aren't I? Because in the 94th <laughs> minute, Zenit find a way to break us back down again, don't they? Uh, a Chelsea team outside of December would have defended <laughs> that. <laughs> um, look, it's again, Zenit are not a bad team. They they are, are merited in the Champions League, or at least they were uh, in the group stages. And they gave us a tough game. They, like I said, they smelt blood with the lineup. They smelt blood with their positioning, and and they said there is an opportunity here for do for us to do something. And they did it, and and they never gave up, which is what we've been talking about ourselves. We never give up, and they never gave up. And again, it it comes back to, and I know we're going to talk about Tucho mentioning it is is when we go up, our mentality changes, and and that's the question is, doesn't matter who you are, first team, second team, third team, youngster, veteran, if you're winning a game three two in the 85th minute, and you've been down for most of the game, or at least most of the second half, and you go up, you cannot let it go away as as a top club you know i think in one-off situations rahul you can understand that i can understand that any fan can understand that look zenith is having a good day no matter what we did they were going to come back pip a goal but it's now since man united i would say it's now seeming to be where we are losing focus for lack of a better word and maybe tuchel says it best where he says we drop our intensity if that's the right terminology in the fact that we almost feel comfortable that we're a goal up and say we've done so well defensively for the last six months or so. No one's going to be able to break us down, but it's just not the fact anymore. Teams have found out how to get a through ball, how to get a header off of a rebound, how to find the fact that we're missing two midfielders that usually drop back in, in Georgie or Kovacic or Kante and James and Barkley are not going to do that. So we can play in between the lines. And so at the end of the day, typically, yes, we would keep a, a clean sheet, but no excuses that we're, we're with players that don't typically play there. These are top players. Reese James is probably in the form of his life. Again, I hate to be so critical because central midfield is in his position. Uh, Mason Mount has been scoring in the last few games. He should be focusing on these things. And 
you've been kind to Saul today, but he's also a very, very talented midfielder that should start understanding positioning, slotting in to cover for the team. And they just seem to be, oh, well, we're 1-0 up or we're 2-1 up now. Zenit's not going to come back. And they keep coming back and we never learn from the mistake. And I guess like it's once more, it's a wake-up call or it's a, an opportunity to know that teams aren't going to give up. And yes, this game meant nothing for Zenit because they were anyway going to go to Europa League. Uh, but they showed us that it's the Champions League and it, every game means something to every team. And it meant something for us in terms of finishing top. Uh, and between the two teams, you have to say Zenit played like they wanted to finish top or they wanted to prove a point before they bowed out of the competition. And, and they did. Yeah. I mean, credit to Zenit. I'll run through the stats here, Roland. It's going to be an interesting story for you because even in our previous games, I'll talk about the golf in distance about possession, about shots, but let's talk about these for a second here. Zenit with 18 shots, seven on target, Chelsea with 13 shots and eight on target. You go to possession as much as we were dominating in pockets of the game, we had 54% of the ball versus 46 for them. And so that alone tells a story because the last four or five games, I've mentioned upwards of 70% in each game. Uh, Passing-wise, we're usually stringing seven to 800. We strung together 524, Zenit 444. So they were not off the mark at all. They were the home team. They let us know they were the home team. They were enjoying the cold, cold temperatures of that night. And they really made it happen. And what's interesting, Raul, at the end of this game, Tuchel was questioned about... When we've had issues in the past, he kind of assembles his management team together after the match to talk about the issues. But Tuchel was completely furious and said, there's nothing to assemble. There's no need to get my team together. The problem is our team loses focus or loses intensity, like he said, and they cannot do that. They cannot allow that to happen to themselves. We should not be happy with this performance. We sh- they shouldn't, and, and we as fans obviously aren't, but they shouldn't. And it comes back to, like you said, the mentality, the intensity. Um, and you look at that squad and you say Malangsar isn't first choice. Kepa isn't first choice. And and Kepa, I guess, avoids some of the criticism because he did pull us off some good saves and kept us in that game. Um, but I'm just running through it. Malangsar isn't first choice. Barkley isn't first choice. Saul isn't first choice. Uh, when everyone's fit, Timo Werner usually doesn't play and and that's harsh to say because he's basically kept us in this game but I'm just running through some names that had an opportunity and maybe apart from Timo and Kepa the other guys didn't really stake a claim to to Tuchel to be like hey boss I know Kovacic and Conte and and Loftus-Cheek are out think about me in the next game they all put in a very average performance and and go away with more questions about their future than than anything else um, at least in the case of Saar, Barkley, and, and Saul. And for Tuchel, when he says there's an issue in the squad, it brings me back, and, and before we started recording, it brings me back to 2018 when Conte said the same thing, 2019 when Sari said the same thing, 2020 when Lampard said the same thing. So it seems to be a theme, and it makes you wonder why is that cake the case because we've won the Champions League the mentality should be different. Yes, it's it's a sixth game in the in the group stage and we've qualified anyway, but we gotta go out and play like it's the first game and, and the points matter and we wanna finish top and and be the the champions of Europe that you know won their group and 
not that we get bantered for finishing second, but it's just that difference in saying we want our group doesn't matter who we face in February. And now it's like, well, if we get Bayern, are we going to make it? And those questions come up and, and you don't want that. And that could have all been avoided with the right mentality and, and preparation and thought process for this game. Yeah. And you look at, you mentioned Bayern, look at the teams that we have a potential to play now. And we had covered a little bit about this in the previous episode. We could play Bayern Munich, which is no easy team to play. We could play Madrid and repeat some heroics of last season. But again, they're a team that's doing well under Carlo Ancelotti this season. We could play Ajax and go back to the 2019-2020 season where uh, Lampard put us together and we had some heroics. But again, we didn't win that game either. Or we could play Lille. And so you're now asking in a 25% chance to get, with no disrespect to Lille, maybe the weakest of those four out there. Uh, you can't rely on those statistics versus trying to go for the top of the group. Make a statement. Show what you mean to this club. And you know, just kind of go from there. And And... Coming back to the point you were making about the mentality, you, you talked about Conte, Sari, you know, Lampard. I think between Conte and now, maybe Rudiger and Aspiliqueta and maybe Alonso are the only three that remain from that generation that are still with the squad. And so you've got to wonder, like, if Conte was complaining about a team back then, which we only have three players left from now and we're now here, what is it trying to say? Or what does it mean? It's not a managerial issue it's not necessarily like these players because the groups are completely fresh at this point. Is it something around how the Chelsea structure is? Is it the Chelsea hierarchy? Is there player power designed on how things are done? Because Chelsea are a club when things are not going well, rather than players being uh, sold off or benched for a while, a new manager is put in. And you've got to really ask those questions and understand more about that. Yeah, those those are some great points. And and that question about, Yes, it's three players left from three years ago, maybe four years ago, and we're still having these issues. So where really does that problem last? And and without being in the ins and out of the club, we're not going to be able to know that. Right. And if there's obviously if there are listeners out there uh, have any thoughts, definitely send those over to us and we can discuss those in the next episode. But that's a great point is where is the source of lack of motivation when you're 1-0 up to to go ahead and kill the game or the lack of of desire to to be the ultimate best even the sixth game of the of the group stage um you know where is it not coming from and and i honestly maybe comes down to a lack of leadership in that 11 and and it's tough to say because aspilicueta is a great leader a great captain um but there's and now here I am, I'm about to make excuses for him. Um, but maybe there's only that much one person can do. And it, it requires a more uh, group effort to say, come on, guys, let's get let's get this to the 2-2-0 two, two and let's kill this game off before it even becomes 1-1. Yeah, and Rahul, that might be part of the problem is that between your Conte season and now we have had a lot of turnover in players. We have sold off a lot of players. And so you struggle to find seniority in the group. Yes, you can go out and buy Lukaku, who is a 28, 29-year-old. You do have Jorginho, who is a 20, 29-year-old. But you've not got somebody who's been sitting there like Aspiliqueta for a decade that has that stamp and that mold. And, and you look to your players like Alonso then and say, you've been here for six or seven years. Now, Rudiger, you've been here for a while. Of course, they didn't play the entire game. But overall, in that dressing room as a whole, you should be helping take the manager's message down and share with the young guys like Atima Warner, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz. I mean, there are a lot of them that need to take some leadership lessons and kind of push on from there. But look, 
we talked a lot about the, the Champions League. We've talked about who we can play. Uh, we have a, a little bit of a break before we get into Champions League again. So let's jump into the Premier League now because we're playing a dirty, dirty squad in <laughs> Leeds. So it's Chelsea versus Leeds, Rahul. Uh, it's a famous history. We've covered this in a previous episode, many, many episodes ago, about why the rivalry exists. I still today haven't really figured out the pinpoint issue that caused <laughs> it. But it was a great historical thing we had covered a few episodes ago. But let's talk about injuries first. We've kind of alluded to a few things going on. I'll run through the ones that I'm aware of as of today. Uh, Chaloba is out for a little bit. Ben Chilwell, we've talked about as well, left wing back. Kovacic got injured, then got fit, then got COVID. And so he's gone through a bout of different things. Uh, Ingolo Kante, you covered it a few episodes ago that he's not necessarily going to play every game at this point in his career. He seems to pick up every little knock here or there. And then Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's a big one that we're feeling right now, is out as well. He got injured in warm-up for the Zenit game. But other than that, I think we have a fully fit squad. And that's good to see. Who do you start as a starting lineup? It's a tough question because some of those guys that you mentioned would make this starting 11, but I think Mendy comes back and Gola, the, okay. the rest over the weekend, or I beg your pardon, during the week must have done him good. Um, and just like him, Kepa also conceded three. So we're now in a boat where we're picking from, um, you know, guys that are maybe a little bit knocked to the confidence, but either way, I think Mendy is our, our first choice and he comes in. Uh, based on the injuries you mentioned, I think Christensen on that right-hand side, uh, I know he didn't have the best games, but with Thiago Silva and Rudiger being my other two, Christensen does tend to perform better. Uh, I will go with Aspie in, uh, as the right wing back because Reese James, for me, will continue in midfield um, unless, for some reason, Conte is, is fit and ready to go. I doubt it. Um, and Jorginho should be back. I know he was out in that Zenit game, but I think he honestly was just given a break uh, based on how much he has been playing and how much he right. will be playing. Uh, I think Alonso comes back in, and then I would continue with Mount Timo and Lukaku. Yeah, strong lineup. Any shouts for maybe a Hakim Ziyech, Kai Havertz, or even Christian Pulisic, who's been playing a very limited game time recently? Yeah, definitely Pulisic or... Uh, Hakim Ziyech I know leads are going to sit deep are going to sit tight uh, in their last game against Brentford they did play a back three so they may most certainly do that against us uh, and when we play against a back three we tend to uh, struggle to break them down so between Pulisic and Ziyech I think maybe Ziyech might come in uh, and we saw a flash of what he can do uh, in that West Ham game by unlocking and, and giving Mason a perfect ball so uh he could come in, and if that happens, I think maybe Timo may slide out. Uh, but Timo had a great game and, and is in good goal-scoring form, so uh, it would be a little tough to drop him. And, and Tuchel tends to give praise or award or reward, or maybe that's reward, the right yeah. word, for players that do well, not only in training but in the previous match. So it'd be hard to drop Timo Warner based on everything that's going on. But let's look at Leeds' last few games here, Rahul. I'll go kind of... Uh, backwards in the most recent game against Brentford. And we, maybe we need to talk about Brentford for a quick second here because they have plummeted. But 2-2 draw to Brentford. Uh, before that, they actually managed to beat Crystal Palace 1-0. Uh, before that, a draw against Brighton and Hovavian. And they were performing very well as well, Brighton was. 2-1 uh, loss to Tottenham. And then the last one was a 1-1 draw with Leicester. So not necessarily the most consistent team out there, but I wouldn't expect that from Leeds. But not necessarily getting thrashed in any of these games either, right? They're in and around uh, close to a draw or victory. 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you mentioned the last five, but I looked uh, a little bit even further. I think apart from that first loss against Manchester United, which was 5-1, every game they've lost since then has been by one goal. Uh, and they've ten- ended up getting a couple of draws here last weekend, being the most recent one when Patrick Bamford, uh, old Chelsea boy, came came off the bench and scored right at the end. So they seem to have picked up a couple of results along the way, a couple of wins, and most recently have been in decent form, especially in the back of Rafinha, who's been playing and uh, has been one of the players of the season, you could say. Um, and they have climbed out. I think they were close to that relegation. Uh, they've moved away about six points away. And uh, whenever they play Chelsea, like you said, they they up their game like everybody else. And I, I think they must be looking at our recent form and backing themselves to come and get a result here. So given their recent form and all the praise you've heaped upon Rafinha and Leeds, what are you going for as far as a score prediction? I am going for, and I predicted a draw in the Zenit game, so I'm going to go predict a draw in this game too, uh, a 2-2. All right, he's keeping it tight to the chest, <laughs> making sure we keep conceding, and that means, <laughs> Men- that means Mendy is is on a poor run of form if he concedes another two goals, if he starts this game, of course, and so... Uh, troubling times for Chelsea. I mean, nothing to panic about, but I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic. I'm going to go for a one nil win. I think that I've said this before when we've gone through tough times, I'll take one nil all day just so we can reset and get back to winning ways. So you're, you're back to the clean sheets uh, and, and winning by one goal, which would, I guess, stay in, in line with Leeds losing by a goal uh, <laughs> uh, in their most recent game. So no, look, it'll, it'll be a good game. We're at home. Um, Leeds fans will be there. I think the last time when we played them at home around this time last year was an empty or fans were just coming back, but it was just Chelsea fans. Uh, and in Giroud's word, that was the toughest game he's played in uh, at that point. So do not expect anything different from Leeds. No, and I, I'm optimistic. You know, Christensen didn't do so well in the previous game, but with Thiago Silva and Rudiger next to him, like you said, Rahul, Hopefully we can go back to winning ways and, and keep that clean sheet. I think that's the most important to get Chelsea back to baseline. But enough about Chelsea. I mean, we hope that they can move forward from there. But let's talk about some interesting games that are coming around this weekend. And we'll kick it off with Liverpool, who, by the way, are in flying form. But coming to Anfield is an old legend, a huge number eight. Every young man has screamed this name when they scored a goal. Gerard is coming home with Villa. He is, and every young man except for us, because we screamed Lampard, but that's a different <laughs> story. Um, no, look, Steven Gerrard's come in. I think he's had four games and and won three, and the one that he lost was to Man City, which, no disrespect, a lot of teams lose to Man City. Um, but it's going to be a, a, a homecoming of sorts for him, and they asked him last week, and he said no emotions, and I'm sure he will have some emotions. Uh, but he's a professional and he's representing Aston Villa and, and wants to do well for them. But you look at Liverpool and, I mean, we talk about our defending has been good. Liverpool's goal scoring is just at a different level. If it's not Salah, it's Mane. If it's not Mane, it's Jota. If it's not Jota, it's Divock Origi. Um, and I think at the end of the day, Liverpool may will just have too much for, for Villa. So you're going for Liverpool to win the game. I'll, I'll talk about a different question then. What kind of reception does Steven Gerrard get when he comes back to Liverpool? A, a resounding one. I mean, he left 
I think he was able to get more for farewell than than you know Lampard did, and I don't mean to keep coming back to Lampard, but um, I think he Gerard got a, a send off of sorts, and he hasn't been back in in any capacity in terms of player or manager, and this is his first time back, um, and he comes back hoping to halt the Liverpool train. So um, I guess if there is one team or one manager that Liverpool would want to to lose points to, would be Steven Gerrard. As a Chelsea fan, I support you wholeheartedly. Steven Gerrard, go out there and beat Liverpool and Liverpool fans, <laughs> let him beat you. We would quite enjoy that happening for Chelsea. But look, another big team that's on top of the Premier League right now, Manchester City, welcome Wolves. How's that game going to play out? Look, Wolves earlier this season were struggling, but they've come into form. They almost got a point out of Liverpool uh, that was at home. So I think this is going to be a little bit different because they traveled to Man City and Man City midweek rested most of their players. Uh, even though they lost, that kind of doesn't really mean much because they, they were qualified on top of the group. Um, I can't pick past Man City, but we've seen with Man City when you expect them to win, they somehow find a way to not. So uh, I'll leave the door open for a Wolves <laughs> result here, but I, I have to pick a Man City win. I, I don't see how Wolves get past Manchester <laughs> City, but if they could in some way or form, Raul Jimenez, who go. we haven't talked a lot about Rahul because he did have a, a major head injury last year and we did cover that as well. Uh, now back into the team, back scoring goals every now and then. So if anybody can break that Manchester City back line and pip a goal or two, maybe it's Raul Jimenez. So just like I said about Gerard, Raul Jimenez, I'm voting for you. I, if I could fit you <laughs> with my fantasy team, I would love to have you in there, but get the goal for us. But let's talk about Leicester versus Newcastle. Raul, Newcastle uh, got their first win a few weeks ago. They are now last trying week, to, yeah. last week trying to stabilize yeah. ship uh, coming into January. Leicester, on the other hand, just dropped out of Europa League, uh, not necessarily flying as high as they did last year. Uh, how does this game play out? It's going to be a tricky one because Newcastle, like you said, on a high, uh, Newcastle do have some tough games coming up. So on the back of that Burnley result, you almost expect them to to come out and try to get something here. And Leicester, I, I think that's that's the bigger story here in terms of the drop from last season or even a couple of seasons ago where they've kind of always been in and around the top four. And this season, they're sitting 11th. And like you said, out of Europa League, going into the Euro, Euro Europa Conference League or Euro Conference League, um, which is really a distraction that they didn't need in terms of they don't really care about it. Brendan Rodgers didn't even know what it was. <laughs> um, and I think a little bit, I mean, I don't think they're going to fire him, but the pressure is on him to to figure it out and get them moving up the table. And this is an opportunity to do that. But I think Newcastle... Uh, could pull out a draw and or maybe even a win. All right. So he's got that hope and that money coming from Newcastle. Hopefully we'll see some fun things happening in January for them because it's just around the corner. But last one before we wrap up today's episode, Rahul, Crystal Palace versus Everton. A lot of pressure was piling on on Rafael Benitez. Lots of talks about him leaving the club, but they've gone on and made some changes upper in the hierarchy to kind of maybe restructure what's going on around the club. How does this one play out with Patrick Vieira coming up there? I mean, Everton were in a horrible run of form. Uh, before we talk about this game, I guess we should touch on how they, they showed up against Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah. <laughs> um, and ruined the day for them, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, 
but no, if you talk about the Palace game, I mean, it's it's a tough game, right? You go away to Palace. Palace have been in good form. We've spoken about Connor Gallagher all season long. We've spoken about Mark Wehi, the Chelsea connection there. Uh, but there's other guys in that squad that have been doing well. And uh, Everton won't find it easy, but I think they have some confidence, especially after that late win against Arsenal. Um, but I don't see this going either way. I think it'll be a draw. Okay, fair enough. I'm looking at this and saying maybe Conor Gallagher can step up and maybe put a sword to Everton. It's a big one for Crystal Palace. Well, they're just two points behind Everton. And at this point in the Premier League, two points, uh, three points helps you climb the table quite a bit. So I'm going to put my money on Crystal Palace. Doesn't mean Everton are done and dusted. You never know. But Conor Gallagher, I'm watching you. I hope that you can help fill that void we have in the middle. And look, if we're looking for a midfielder, we don't have to go out and buy. Maybe we can call Conor Gallagher back. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Rahul, before we wrap up today, I'm just going to run through the table really quickly, just so everybody knows where we're at. Manchester City holds top of the league. We covered this a couple of episodes ago with 35 points. Liverpool in second with 34 points. And Chelsea in third with 33 points. So it's a super tight at the top. In fourth is West Ham with 27 points. And Tottenham back in and around the falls in fifth with 25 points. Man United in sixth with 24 points. Uh, bottom, North City, uh, 10 points, sitting down, d- down, 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 tied at the bottom. But Newcastle tied at the bottom with them in 10 points. Burnley tied at the bottom with them with 10 points. And Watford with 13 points. So if Newcastle or Burnley or Norwich find a way to get a win and Watford stumble one more time, it could get interesting in this table. It definitely will. And, and I know before we wrap it up, you did say mention Brentford earlier in the episode. Yeah. Um, and they've been kind of dropping down that table. They were in around fourth a few, <laughs> maybe eight weeks ago at this point. Uh, and they now sit in 13th. And I know they've had some injuries, but talk about them now getting a reality check in the Premier League. Yeah, they could be easily dragged into that relegation battle if they don't find a way to stop the free fall. So... We'll watch that interestingly and see how it plays out. They were very, very good early on, but it's very easy to slide down this Premier League table. And and that's a note for ourselves too here. <laughs> um, a couple more draws and, and we could be talking about different ambitions, but yep. we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, hopefully your prediction comes true versus mine because that would mean three points. Um, but that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, and as always, send us your feedback. And we will be back to do a Leeds review and an Everton preview. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels.